energy. How does anybody live and drive in Boston every single day? This guy stopped in the middle of the road with his hazard lights on. This guy won't yield. That guy won't let you go. That guy passes in front of you. That guy goes three lanes of traffic all in one shot. How does anybody do this? The passion. Look, if the Red Sox aren't going to play Yoshida Endeavors as they're about to get swept, then we might as well just give up and go home. The opinions on all your favorite teams. I'm glad that Mac Jones looks better. That's really important. He needs to look better. But if it were a video game, he'd still have an overall rating of 76, and that ain't cutting it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Thursday to you on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We are brought to you by Fecto Homes, your total home solution. You can... Check out their new homes for sale in central Vermont. That's at fectohomes.com. That's at fectohomes.com. Let's see. I got a fancy new virtual background today. I told you I'm going to play with this every single day, but I'm not feeling this one as much. So I think I'm going to change up my background today and go back to the one I had the other day. I like the virtual radio studio better, so we'll go back to that one. You can get in on the AR Auto text line, 802-585-3026. Again, that's your AR Auto text line. They're online at ARAutosales.com. That's ARAutosales.com. we got a lot to get to. We're on for a full 90 minutes today, 5.30 until 7. Jazz with George Thomas comes up after me. We've got that for uh, about one hour, and then we get you out to Thunder Road for racing with our own Nick Mumley on the call there again. A, what's going to be a great night, uh, kind of a great bounce-back night for Barry, a great bounce-back night for Central Vermont, and a great bounce-back night for all of you, First Responders Appreciation Night. And, again, those highway and traffic safety people get in free. We thank them for their hard work over the course of the last week, and always, but especially over the course of the last week. Buster Olney is going to join us as he does every single Thursday. Going to be with us a little later than usual. Going to be with us here at about 6.10, 6.15 today. We'll talk about the Red Sox. Red Sox are off. So, again, uh, we will uh, get you out to the Red Sox and Mets over the course of the weekend, but a full 90 minutes here today. Again, 802-585-3026. Danny, right there on the button bar, you'll see we, have, we didn't do this one the other day. The little here we go button there. It's in blue at the very top in the middle. Hit that, and that means the show can start officially. Danny's having a hard time finding it. What is the computer buffering? Uh, no, nothing's buffered. Here we go. How about this? How about I play it? Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. On the opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show, we're brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. And remember, they've got that new Rouse's Point location that's going to open as well. So Tuesday, we got the news right before the show that Todd Woodcroft, the UVM men's hockey coach, had been fired. We were told by UVM that he had been fired for inappropriate text messages that were sent to a student. We did not know the nature of those text messages. We did not know the student that was sent those text messages. We don't know how many text messages there were, but we knew that Todd Woodcroft had been fired on Tuesday. Yesterday morning, UVM held a press conference and uh, you know, on the athletic complex. Jeff Shulman, athletic director, spoke. We've got a bunch of audio from that that brings you more information here on the basics. I definitely have an opinion on this stuff, but I want to get the information out there first. So, Danny, let's take it here right at the top. Jeff Shulman, cut number seven, kind of outlining 
what happened, when, and the timeline. The initial complaint was referred to AAEO on March 16th. Um, there was some preliminary work done in that office to determine whether or not there should be a formal investigation. Um, it was obviously determined that that was warranted. Um, so the formal investigation began uh, soon after that. Um, and as I shared, I, I got the final report um, this past Monday, which I think was July 17th. So the initial complaint is made to a member of the athletic department on March 16th. Now, mind you, the season is over at this point. I believe you. I believe that UVM's final home game, a hockey East playoff loss against Boston University, was on March 11th. So the season is over at this point. The complaint comes in, UVM sends it up the chain, and then four months later has their findings, has their report, and makes their ultimate decision. Jeff Shulman continued on. Danny, Jeff Shulman, number one, talking about, again, the decision, the report, the process. You know, obviously um, uh, not easy uh, to to uh, to make a, um, a coaching decision and a coaching change like this. As we shared yesterday, um, the decision was based on the findings of a, of a uh, UVM affirmative action and equal opportunity uh, report that um, that determined that Coach Woodcroft had um, sent inappropriate text messages to a student that, um, that, that failed to maintain appropriate professional boundaries. 802-585-3026 if you have any thoughts on this in the AR Auto text line. And I also, because Danny and I are kind of in this first week here of this new setup where he's in the main studio and I'm in an alternate studio. We want to make sure we've got all the buttons pressed right and all the wires incorrectly. If you're watching on the video stream, and I see Travis is out there right now on the video stream, I want you to tell us if you are hearing these clips, okay, if you're hearing these clips, because I can hear them. I know you can hear them on the radio. I want to make sure the video audience hears this as well, but we've got the studio kind of formatted a little bit differently. We want to make sure we have all the wires in appropriately. So what we know is that March 16th, the complaint comes in. UVM sends it up the chain again. Four months later, they make the decision. Jeff Schuldman says, after carefully considering, it's not easy to do. We made a decision that we feel comfortable with to dismiss Coach Woodcroft. And then the question that everybody has is, who was – okay, Travis says I cannot hear those clips. Danny and I will get to the bottom of this. So I promise you, Travis, while you're out there, I will continue to uh, tell you everything that is coming out of these clips. I promise you that. Um, the question everybody wants to know the answer to is – who was the student, what was the relationship between the student and Todd Woodcroft, and what was the nature of the text messages. Everybody wants to know that. Jeff Shulman's not going to divulge that information, though. Danny, Jeff Shulman, number six. As you can imagine, um, student privacy is really paramount in this, so um, I hope you'll understand why um, I'm going to be cautious about sharing any of the specifics um, that, that would uh, – allow a student to be identified who, who was involved in this process. Um, so I'm not going to get into, you know, giving real specific details about the messages. Um, you know, the way we've characterized it publicly, um, I think, I hope, paints the picture that they were inappropriate, um, that they didn't maintain uh, the level of professional boundaries that uh, um, is, are expected uh, 
from uh, employees and their interactions with students. Um, and, and obviously it was significantly, sufficiently serious to, to warrant um, termination. So, Travis, those of you on the uh, the video stream, Jeff Schulman says, we're not going to tell you who the student was. We're not going to tell you what the text messages said. We don't want to be, anybody to be able to identify who the student is. And But we hope we've painted the picture that they were serious, they were over the professional boundary, and they warranted termination. That's what Jeff Schulman has to say there. That is the basic logistics of the whole thing, okay? That's the logistics. It's also important to note the following. We're not going to play all the clips here from the long press conference, but Jeff Schulman says the only thing there was was inappropriate text messages, right? And that means that there were no um, there were no physical interactions. There were no verbal interactions. The things in question are um, – just text message based. And that doesn't mean they can't be horrible. I'm just painting the picture for you with the truth that Jeff Shulman told us that there's no physical interaction, there's no verbal interaction, there is a there is a text message thread or a thread of text messages only. So you know the logistics now. Now we can get to my opinion. I have two main takeaways from the UVM press conference yesterday. Okay, I, have two, I walked away thinking two specific things. The first one is this. I am not saying that what is in these text messages is not a fireable offense, right? I'm not defending Todd Woodcroft in that regard. I don't know what's in them. I haven't seen them. I haven't spoken to anybody on campus about them specifically. I swear to you, I have no sources on this. So I'm not saying they're not bad. I'm not saying they don't cross a line. But what I do believe to be true 1,000% with every fiber of my being is this, that yesterday, the athletic department paint, the athletic department to me came off like they're trying to save their own skin again they may be fireable offense text messages they very well might be but yesterday when i heard jeff shulman talking i thought i saw an athletic director that's trying to save his own skin and i saw an athletic department that's trying to save its own skin and that's because the athletic department and jeff shulman himself have gotten a lot of grief, a lot of grief, for the handling of the allegations of rape against Anthony Lamb, the former men's basketball player, and other members of the men's basketball program over the last few years. The athletic department and Jeff Shulman have gotten a lot of grief for what they did or what they didn't do to them in the men's basketball situation that they don't want to either make the mistake again give the appearance that they're making the mistake again, and they want to save face. What is the quickest way to wash away the supposed sins of the past? Well, it's to come down even harder in the future. And that was the very first impression that I got yesterday. Again, what Todd Woodcroft did may very well have been a fireable offense, but I walked away yesterday thinking that Todd Woodcroft was not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Todd Woodcroft was not going to get the gray area, and Todd Woodcroft was not going to have the university stand up for him. Why? Because the university knows that it's been on thin ice publicly when it comes to its handling of things, and Jeff Shulman knows that he's been on thin ice publicly with handling of things, that they want to, you know, to, to, to cleanse the athletic department or give the appearance of cleansing the athletic department, that Todd Woodcroft was going to be the guy that fell on the sword. Again, I, I cannot say this enough. I, someone told me once 
Brady, you repeat yourself a lot. Well, for the someone who's in their car right now and someone who is doing other things and listening passively, I'm repeating it for you so you know this. I am not defending Todd Woodcroft because I don't know what he did or didn't say. But when I watched the press conference yesterday, they watched nearly every minute of it, I saw Jeff Shulman up there and I thought to myself, he's trying to make the stench of the basketball situation go away by coming down swiftly, justly, and harshly in this case. That was my very first takeaway, that Todd Woodcroft was never going to be given the support of the athletic department because Jeff Shulman and the athletic department are like, look, everybody hates how we handled this something in the past. Everybody hates what we did in the past. We cannot mess it up in the future. UVM wants no more. Look, we're talking last year about protests on campus, about how UVM athletics is, you know, is against women on campus and how women don't feel safe. UVM is in a public relations nightmare about that stuff. They do not want more public relations nightmares. They do not want to show that or appear that they are anti-people on campus. Again, we don't know who these messages were directed to, but they don't want to appear anti-people. They don't want to appear like it's not a safe haven for students. So if, if they've gotten that grief in the past, they don't want to get it in the future. So that's why they decided to act swiftly and act quickly in this case. The other takeaway that I had off of yesterday's press conference or out of this situation, I feel bad for recruits and for parents of recruits in this situation. So, again, look at the timeline. Todd Woodcroft, the season ends the 11th of March. Then UVM gets this complaint on the 16th. So Todd Woodcroft has no games to coach. UVM said that they want him to work from home in this time while they investigate. So Todd Woodcroft's been working from home for several months, or had been working from home for several months. So he's not coaching on ice, but he is clearly allowed to still recruit. He's allowed to reach out to people. He's allowed to network. So I feel bad for parents and for prospective student-athletes that Todd Woodcroft called and recruited and sold himself on, and Todd Woodcroft called and recruited and sold the program on, And now those people, those guys that bought in to Todd Woodcroft, now have the rug pulled out from under him. And I don't know what the right answer is to this. I I am not in the Office of of, uh, Affirmative Action and Equal Opportunity. I am not on a campus board. I don't know the answer to this as far as what Todd Woodcroft should have been allowed to do or not allowed to do. But Todd Woodcroft was allowed to recruit. He's allowed to sell himself. And now the kids who bought into him or the parents who bought into him now have had the rug pulled out from under. So I feel bad for those kids. Okay, I feel bad for the alleged victim of the text messages here that they were uncomfortable. I feel bad for the current players on the roster that now have had their program kind of tossed into upheaval before the season starts. While I'm happy that Steven Wheeler is going to get a chance to be a head coach like I'm sure he wants to, I'm, I'm disappointed for him that it comes this way with this timing and under this black cloud. But I'm also disappointed for the prospective students that Todd Woodcroft reached out to and recruited that now aren't going to play for the guy that they thought they were playing for. Or that maybe Todd Woodcroft wasn't the guy they thought they were. I'd feel bad for them. And this is my, I'm going to stand on my soapbox here for one second today. 
Okay, I'm going to stand on my soapbox for one second. It is a little bit different at Division One, right? I fully recognize that. It's a little bit different at Division One than it is at Division Three where I play. But if you are a parent and you are out there in your car and you're driving around Interstate 89 or Route 100 or some back road and you've got a kid who wants to play college sports, my advice to you is this. Pick a school for the school, right? Let me say that again. My advice to you is if you are a college athlete or a prospective college athlete or you're a parent of a prospective college athlete, your child should pick a school for the school. Do not pick a school based on the coach. The coach matters. It does, right? Don't get me wrong. You don't want to go to a person that you don't want to go play for someone that you think doesn't like you or that won't play you or you want to play for someone that you think does like you. That is important in playing time, etc. But you have to pick a place that you also love the school because the coach can be gone tomorrow for any number of reasons. And if that were to happen, you have to be at a place that you're happy to be at still. Again, Division One's a little bit different. Division One's a little bit different than Division Three. But especially if you're a D2 or D3 player, pick a school based on the school. Because the coach can be gone tomorrow for any number of reasons. Any number of reasons. It's one of the media people asked a question yesterday at the press conference and said, why was Todd Woodcroft allowed to keep coaching? Well, again, he wasn't allowed to keep coaching on the ice because there were no games to coach. Okay, Complaint comes in March 16th, season ends March 11th. There were no games left to coach. As for why he was allowed to recruit, well, one, he hasn't been found guilty of anything at that point, and two, he, you know, the program wants to keep moving forward. So they're like, hey, we got to keep recruiting players. we got to keep getting guys in here. So, again, I don't have all the answers on what Todd Woodcroft should or shouldn't have been allowed to do, but if the complaint comes in March 16th and he hasn't been found guilty of anything yet, I, I don't know that there's a harm in having him recruit. I just feel bad for the parents who got to hear him talk and sell themselves and – he ultimately isn't going to end up being there. 802-585-3026. Air Auto text line, Peter and Williston. I want to know why the investigation took so long. Firing Coach Woodcroft this late makes it so tough for the season. I understand they had to cross their T's and dot their I's, but four months seems like it could have been concluded sooner. Just my take. I also thought that was long, but I also don't want to be a hypocrite. We oftentimes criticize people for not doing a thorough investigation. Okay, We oftentimes criticize people for making too quick a decision, right? We, like you'll see a team, uh, you know, cut a guy, and we're like, well, you cut a guy quickly. Do you have all the facts yet? And then you find out that something was a little bit different. So I don't want to be a hypocrite. Four months did seem long, but perhaps four months was really thorough in everything that it took. I, maybe that was right. It is tough for the season. But it is right now just is what it is. I got a couple more text messages that I want to get to, things people have asked me privately over the last couple of days I want to bring uh, to the forefront here in the next segment. So we'll get back into the Todd Woodcroft thing, UVM hockey thing. I'll answer more questions. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show and WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Travis, if you're still watching on the stream there, uh, I want to know after the hour, 
Danny and I are going to test something different here. I want to hear if you're hearing the clips. I think maybe we've got a uh, a solution here to get the clips heard on the video stream. Again, you know, I love having a producer, but I was so set in our process before, and I had it all figured out. And now with, I'm in, with me in a different studio, there's a different, little, little different setup. So Danny and I will figure it out. So I've got a funny story for Danny, too, that I want to get to at the top of the hour because uh, apparently, I don't want to sound arrogant, but, like, apparently I'm a big shot. And I had no idea why or how. I'm going to tell you the wild story that happened to me the other day and also happened to me today. And now this is becoming a trend. So I'll, uh, I want to tell you all about this, but I want to answer more questions here on the text line, AR Auto text line, 802-585-3026. We are brought to you by, uh, <laughs> I'm getting more different, more texts on the text line. Um, so, Okay, text comes in on the text line. How does Jeff Shulman survive all this at UVM? How does Jeff Shulman survive this? Right, I outlined on Tuesday since Jeff Shulman, since I have been here in seven years, hockey hazing incident in 2016, Chris Day, women's basketball coach, fired for verbal abuse. Now you got the Todd Woodcroft thing, and you got the allegations against the men's basketball program, of which I don't know what's true and what's not, but there's allegations that are out there, and they're pretty serious. How does Jeff Shulman survive all of this? The answer to me Simply, is he does what he did on Tuesday. He fires Todd Woodcroft. That, that, that to me is how Jeff Shulman survives this for himself. Jeff Shulman makes himself look good by getting rid of somebody who is a problem in the way that he didn't do with the men's basketball program, allegedly. Right? Like, if what they say about men's basketball is true, then Jeff Shulman was in the wrong, then the Associates Life Director is in the wrong, then John Becker is in the wrong, then Anthony Lamb is in the wrong, then the players in question are in the wrong. So there's a, if what they say is true, is true about UVM basketball, there's a lot of people in the wrong. How does Jeff Shulman look like he's in the right? He gets rid of a guy who's allegedly a problem, right? He didn't do it in the past, and now he does it now. So, again, what Todd Woodcroft did very well may have been heinous enough to warrant firing. But Jeff Shulman was never going to give Todd Woodcroft the benefit of the doubt. He was never going to, I don't think, really give him any gray area, any wiggle room, any anything, because he needed to make himself look good, make the department look good, and the department only looks good if they're getting rid of people that are alleged problems. Two, I saw this a lot over the last few days. Would UVM have done this? Would UVM have fired Todd Woodcroft? If the program were in a good spot, right? UVM men's hockey hasn't been very good the last couple of years. Todd Woodcroft was building it up, seemed to be doing a pretty good job, but it's a slow grind in hockey. It's not basketball where you can bring in two transfers and all of a sudden go from, you know, four wins to 18 wins, right? Basketball is different than hockey. Hockey's going to take years to get this thing going again. So Woodcroft seemed to have it in the right direction, but the program hasn't been very good. So would they have done this if the program had been winning? I think, yeah, they would. I, I, I honestly do. I think, yes, they would. Because, again, for appearances' sake, for public relations' sake, that would make Jeff Shulman and the athletic department look good. I mean, think about this. UVM caught all this grief for how they handled the basketball situation, for their appearance of not caring about women on campus. That's what the protest was about last year. So UVM has this negative reputation 
well, if Jeff Shulman, the athletic department, fires a winner, they can come back and say, see, we don't only care about winning. We're out here for the good of our students. We're out here for the good of campus safety. We're out here on a moral high ground. So, yes, I do believe that if UVM had been good on the hockey side, Todd Woodcroft still gets fired, and Jeff Shulman and company come out looking better for having done it. Because, again, we're not only – because people will say, oh, because they're winning, they skate by. Because they're winning, they skate by. Well, I think if UVM hockey was winning, Jeff Shulman comes out with a stronger statement and says, no. I mean, like, we'll we'll get rid of anybody who's not upholding the standard here. And then finally, uh, a question I did answer earlier in the week, so I I will answer it again briefly here. What do you think Todd Woodcroft wants here out of the legal process? Todd Woodcroft, his attorney, has come out and said that he's going to fight this. I think Todd Woodcroft wants to clear his name, and I think Todd Woodcroft wants some portion of money, very, very simply. Jeff Shulman said yesterday we owe him no other money. He was fired. He was terminated. I assume that means for them he was fired with cause, so that means they don't owe him anything. Shulman said they don't owe him anything. So, I'm going to believe that if I am Todd Woodcroft, one of the things I want in this, I want to clear my name, 20 years of a spotless reputation I want back. I'm going to, I want to coach again potentially. And also, I just, I want the money. Like, I want some money that I'm owed. That's, that's what I believe. That's what I think Todd Woodcroft would want. I don't think he wants anything more than that. If I'm Todd Woodcroft, I don't want to work at UVM again, right? Like, I'm not doing this so I can get my job back. I don't want to work for these people anymore if I'm him. I want my job. I, I want my name back. I want my reputation back. And I want some of the money that you owe me so that I can tide myself over until I get the next opportunity. That's what I think. 802-585-3026. Air Auto text line is open. will continue to be open. Text says, uh, I agree Woodcroft would have been fired if UVM hockey had been a powerhouse. Louisville had fired highly successful Rick Pitino. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think they absolutely would have. Um, we're brought to you by Fecto Homes. Again, your total home solution in Vermont, your total home solution at a Montpelier online at fectohomes.com. What we will do is we will step aside. We'll get the CBS News update. I've got what I think is something that will work for the video stream people to be able to hear everything they need to hear. We're going to test that out, and we're going to get you ready for Buster Olney, who's going to come up at about 6.15 as well. But i got to tell you my story. I apparently might be a big deal. I don't know how or why, but I just might be. That's next on DV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We fixed part one of our issue with the Internet stream. So if you are watching online right now on Facebook Live, you should be able to hear the commercials, hear the returns, hear the audio, hear everything, be able to hear me as well. Hopefully I sound a little bit better even than I did the previous segment. I know you never sound good, Brady, so save that joke. I've heard that before. But hopefully we've got things figured out. Danny, you have somehow gotten out of our video stream here. We need you back in because I'm going to be talking to you here in a second about this story. But I want to uh, wrap up here. Buster Olney is going to join us in about 10 minutes. Texter on the text line says, when John Becker and the basketball team was winning, he was protected during the Anthony Lamb allegations. How can you be confident it would have been different for Woodcroft? I'm confident because 
the men's the, the the athletic department has seen the grief that the man, that the men's basketball allegations have brought about, right? They have seen the grief that have come that have come from that. So there you go. Now Danny's back. Thank you. Okay. So when the allegations happened at men's basketball, there hadn't been any fallout, right? Now we've seen fallout from men's basketball, and as a result, the university athletic department is on more heightened uh, awareness on this stuff. So no matter what, if Todd Woodcroft was winning, I think he would have fallen on the sword because they just cannot have what they had before. They cannot have the kind of reaction that they had before. That is how I feel about it. So, yes, I think even if they were winning, Todd Woodcroft would have been fired. That is a complete guess. But that is my thought because, again, they've just dealt with too much through the men's basketball saga, and they don't want to deal with it again, and they can't afford to deal with it again from a public relations standpoint. Okay, Danny, you're in the other studio. Can you uh, pop up your microphone? I want to tell you this story. Let's go. Okay. So I may, at 802-585-3026, I may be kind of a big deal. Without meaning to be a big deal. Let me tell you a little background information here. So I picked up a, a side gig a while back, right? Nothing that takes me away from WDEV, nothing that's going to take me away from WDEV. But I picked up a side gig writing about baseball for a Sports Illustrated offshoot, right? It's called Fastball on Fan Nation, okay? It's it's a under the parent company of Sports Illustrated. If you read any of my articles, they are SI.com, but it's not the Sports Illustrated magazine that's been famous here for 70 years or whatever. But nonetheless, so as a result, I've been writing a bunch of articles about baseball since the season started. And so I, so my name is out there more, right? You Google things about baseball, and my name is out there more because people are finding things that I've written, and that's all well and good. That's not even what I mean when I say – I'm a big deal. Well, over the All-Star break, I wrote a story about Felix Hernandez, the old Mariners pitcher, hitting a home run in the celebrity softball game, right? I thought it was a cool story. Felix is back in Seattle. The All-Star game's in Seattle. Felix Homer's in the celebrity softball game. He looks happy to be in Seattle. He wasn't happy to leave Seattle. It's a, just a good kind of coming together, uh, you know, Felix falling in love with Seattle again. I wrote the story. I got an email the next day. From Felix Hernandez is people. And they said, hey, Felix is doing this, this, and this at the All-Star break. Uh, do you want to talk to him? Do you want to interview Felix? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I want to interview Felix. So I'm going back and forth with Felix's PR people for a full day. And we set up the interview. And it ended up that he had to back out. That uh, That's okay. I'm not mad about it. It would have been cool. It is what it is. And, you know, I've dealt with interviews like this before where you're talking with PR people and you know somebody has something come up or can't do it or they got another obligation to fulfill no big deal right no big deal but I'm thinking to myself how did these people even find me because my email is not on any of these articles so clearly people are googling me and my Radio Vermont email address is coming up so I got Felix Hernandez's people emailing me at my Radio Vermont email address and I've gotten a few more like that. I got some media people sending me stuff. I got the MLB Network sending me things now. And so today, Danny, like five minutes before the show starts, I get an email from this woman who works at a shoe company or a footwear company. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And do you know what this foot company is? This is the same footwear company 
that former Red Sox and current Dodgers slugger J.D. Martinez is partnered with. You've seen these commercials on TV, J.D. Martinez talking about his feet, what kind of shoes he's wearing, etc. I think it's called like UFOs or something like that. Well, the UFOs people have reached out to me. And they're trying, they're like, hey, do you want me to send you samples of this stuff and that JD's marketing here? Do you want shoes? Do you want sandals? Do you want insoles? And by the way, do you want to talk to JD? So I'm here, I might be talking to JD Martinez soon and I might be getting sent sandals and shoes as a promotional item. I have no idea. But nonetheless, just because I'm in the, in concert with having this radio show and also writing these articles, all of these people now are finding me. My email is not out there like, you know, I didn't think it was out there publicly to find, but nonetheless, my Radio Vermont email is out there, and I got Felix Hernandez's people reaching out to me. I got J.D. Martinez people reaching out to me. The UFOs people might send me stuff. I have no idea where this came from. But, Danny, I ask you, does this make me a big deal or just lucky? Weren't you already a big deal? Eh, no. I'm a big deal in my own head sometimes, as the text line likes to tell me, but... No, I and look, this could fall through too. I might not talk to JD Martinez. I might not get sent shoes or whatever. But I keep getting emails from these like heavy hitters. I got one from a media company today. Uh, the people who uh, work over at Outkick, um, which is a kind of a sports news stuff, and. They've got an interview. They're like, hey, we think this might be of use to you down the road here. Like, so I can't say what it is until tomorrow because it's not, it hasn't aired yet on Outkick. But like, they're like, hey, this interview might come through, is coming through for us. Do you want to do something with it? Here's the audio from it. I'm like, yeah, I want to do something with it. So all these people are finding me. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on right here. But here I am getting, you know, people here. Peter says it's so cool about you and King Felix, JD Martinez and the merch. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get the merch, but I do have bad ankles. You know that. So these shoes are supposed to help you with your ankles. So I hope I get something here. And I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to JD and, you know, try the stuff out. Like, whatever. No big deal. But, like, that's okay. Like, cool. So we'll see if it happens. But, you know, apparently my email is getting around. Former intern Jack says, uh, don't give him, don't give in to him, Danny. He's not that big a deal. Yeah. Jack wishes he was sitting where you're sitting. Okay. Jack's on hey, TV. Hey, Jack's on TV. Jack is on TV. Jack has – Danny, do you ever want to be on TV? No. No, no, no. J- Jack can have that spot. Yeah, Jack can have – people ask me, Brady, do you ever want to be on TV or, or why are you not on TV? And I'm like, look, here's what, here's what I don't need. I don't need to work until 1 in the morning. I don't need to wear uncomfortable shoes. I don't need to be in a tie. And I don't need to be lugging around a camera. Okay, everyone who's on TV, I have immense respect for, and I love that Jack's on TV, and Jack does a great job over at NBC5. It's not for me. I'm I'm here right now in my studio with my fake studio background here behind us because we figured out the green screen in a T-shirt and basketball shorts and maybe someday in some comfortable J.D. Martinez UFO shoes. That's good enough for me. I couldn't do any of that if I were on TV. Absolutely not. So, no, I'm... I'm good just where I am. I'm good just where I am. Uh, earlier today, I had an opportunity to speak with Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Um, Buster's always with us Thursday at 545. We had to tape a little bit early today, so we did that this morning. Talked a lot about the Red Sox. Danny, go ahead, hit play on the interview. Me and Buster, I got a lot afterwards that Buster told me that I want to react to. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show here on this Thursday, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes. Red Sox off today after a disappointing series in Oakland. They'll be back in action again on Friday to take on the New York Mets. And joining us now is our ESPN MLB insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great, Brady. How you doing? I'm doing well as well, but there's a bitter taste in my mouth here after this series in Oakland. And, look, I, I don't want to complain too much. The Red Sox have played good baseball. They are in the mix for the playoffs. I can't ask a team to sweep, but to lose two of three to the worst team in baseball, that's a disappointing end to what's been a pretty good stretch. Yeah, and I've talked with players, with the staffers who, who acknowledge that losing to Oakland right now feels like five losses. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's a missed opportunity, um, and, and it actually some teams have, have felt some pressure facing them, it, which is not normally something you think of in baseball. Where early on it's like, oh, wait a second, we're behind. Like we we need to put these guys away because uh, Oakland's you know one of the worst teams in in, uh, in modern Major League Baseball. So yeah, for the Red Sox, it's a missed opportunity, especially at a time when the teams in front of them, or two of the teams in front of them, the Rays, the Yankees, have been uh, you know, hemorrhaging games in the standings, uh, or I should say the Yankees are behind them, but the two of the teams are competing with for a playoff spot, you know, are, those two teams are, are backing up, and so it, it definitely is going to feel like a missed opportunity. Well, it's a missed opportunity also here because you look at just this week. I mean, the Astros struggled this week, and I know they won yesterday against the Rockies, but the Yankees, as you mentioned, have struggled. Seattle behind them has struggled to, to bring up ground. Toronto has struggled in front of them. Everybody the Red Sox would want to be losing his lost, and here they are losing as well, Buster. To a really bad team. Yeah. Uh, so it's it, yeah, they, you know, I'm sure Alex Gore is already like, okay, time to move on, time to get back to Fenway, time to, uh, you know, get back on board, and at a time when, uh, you know, Trevor Story is going to start start his rehab and, and is now within sight of his return and, and help is on the way. It, it uh, for I think for the Red Sox front office, for the Red Sox ownership, there's reason to at least consider, uh, you know, some measured buys at the deadline to give them a chance to uh, to be even better. Yeah, Sox are two and a half back right now in the wild card, and they're certainly going to have chances to try to continue to play against the teams that are in front of them. There's, you know, a lot of them are AL East teams. Uh, Rob Refsnyder spoke yesterday about you know, trying to do enough to convince the front office to buy. It feels to me like, Buster, the team has done enough. I mean, and for a guy in high and bloom who hasn't, always won over the clubhouse doesn't it feel like there's an obligation on his end to again at least as you said make some measured buys yeah and you know it's, i didn't talk to heim about this this week but i talked to another general manager and he mentioned because uh he, he's running a team that's in a similar spot and he mentioned that you know uh it might not necessarily be uh acquisitions where you're giving up you know prospects to, to for an upgrade but maybe you take on a little bit of money uh, from, from a veteran player who's on a one-year deal, who's going to be a free agent in the fall, just to augment a, a little bit, just to plug a hole a little bit. I don't think, you know, I think the Red Sox last year at the time, as you know, when they traded Christian Vasquez, they added Tommy Pham, that was not well-received in the clubhouse. I think they got to do more than they did last year. I think they've earned that right. The players have, the staff has, um, you know, because they put themselves in position to be in the playoff run, and it will be interesting to you know to see what the Red Sox front office uh, what they do. I would say, unlike last year where you knew Vasquez was going to leave as a free agent, you don't necessarily have that type of player right now 
you know, who has, you know, a high market value potentially uh, where it's an obvious sell situation. So I do think that, you know, just take on a little bit and, and say that uh, it allows you to tell your fan base that you tried, allows you to tell the folks in your clubhouse you tried. You know, I don't think that the Red Sox should be trading from their top three or four prospects either. I'm with you and a lot of other people on that. But something we've talked about now I think really could come to fruition. Is what, what do you think the, the likelihood is of trading – Major league talent for major league talent. The Red Sox need help in the starting rotation. Could Kike Hernandez and or Adam Duvall get that for them? Not necessarily like a high end guy. Like, yeah. And I and I'm I'm just uh, you know throwing out uh, you know you could potentially I, I'm editing myself as I go uh, in talking about this. But like you look at the Kansas City Royals, you know they've got some veteran starters available with Jordan Lyles. You know, maybe that type of guy where the Royals pay down some of the salary and he's not having a good year, but at least you add some depth. Um, and, and maybe the, you know, with, with Kike, with Adam Duvall, because they do, it does feel like that they're going to have a surplus of outfielders. Maybe you do, you know, get them for, you know, move them for some marginal, uh, you know, marginal minor league talent, you know, a B minus prospect while taking on other, other guys. Um, and it does feel like that, that uh, you know, Kike has enough versatility and he enjoys enough popularity in that clubhouse that uh, he would be a guy that you would want to keep around. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FMWDEVradio.com. Sox taking on the Mets starting for a series on Friday. Of course, we'll have it for you all weekend on DEV. Buster, what are you hearing about the trade market in general, right? A month ago we were talking, saying, oh, we don't know who the sellers are. It may seem like the sellers might be coming into more clear focus right now. Like I could see Rich Hill being moved in Pittsburgh. Maybe that's a guy the Red Sox could reunite with. Um, you know, yep. Marcus Stroman, Cody Bellinger, if the Cubs decide to sell. What are you hearing about the trade market on the macro level? That generally speaking, uh, you still have a situation, but you think of it like a poker game, like if you're going around the table and what you're hearing is check, check, yeah. check. In other words, everyone's sort of holding firm because there's still time. So if you're a seller, and what I hear is, you know, generally speaking, it's a seller's market. Prices are really high. You know, it was described to me the other day that, you know, a team checked in on a, on a guy with a 6 DRA, and it was like, yeah, we want your number one, your number two, your number three prospect. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, the prices are off the off the charts. Um, and, and so I think that you know, the feeling is, is that as we get within four or five days of with the actual deadline, then some of those hands will be revealed and teams will uh, get off the posturing and get real and move guys forward. I do think the Cubs are going to move Marcus Stroman. They're going to move Cody Bellinger. Those are going to be two of the most popular guys in the marketplace. Uh, Jack Flaherty, as you know, St. Louis Cardinals, yep. he's been pitching better. He would be a good investment for the Red Sox. You know, you get two months of a guy who is going to be a free agent in the fall. You know he's going to come in highly motivated. Uh, trying to win, Marcus Stroman would be that uh, you know that type of guy too. Um, so I I think that it's going to be a a relatively thin market in the end in terms of a volume of trades uh, with all eyes on Otani and what the Angels do with him. Buster, let's talk about Trevor Story, who you mentioned. He's going to start his rehab uh, tomorrow, five innings at shortstop, DH on Saturday, five innings at shortstop on Sunday. Red Sox are in an interesting position with him. And what I, what I mean is this. He's got a six-year contract. He's a multi-time all-star in his career. When he comes back, 
he's got to play. But that said, he's only going to have 15 to 20 rehab games there. He may start slow. And for a team that needs to win, it's kind of hard to be punting on a guy who's just kind of getting his timing back, et cetera. It's a delicate dynamic, is it not? No doubt about it. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, what you're going to see is the Red Sox evaluating all the parts of his game and seeing if he's ready to help out. In some respects, it's a little bit like uh, with Aaron Judge and the Yankees and what they're going through is that, yes, you want the player to have prep, proper preparation, but if you see reasons why you think this player might help you, you might push it a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, so if he looks comfortable in his plate appearances early on, even if he isn't necessarily, you know, uh, 100% back, I do think they'll push it a little bit because it is an important time. And, look, um, you know, people will always debate, I think, whether or not Trevor Story was the right guy to be signed in that moment uh, that the Red Sox did it. You know, would it have been better to, to invest that money in Xander Bogart? That really doesn't matter at this point. All you're trying to figure out is how this guy who's got a track record can help you going forward. And I do know that they loved his defense at second base when he was there. I think the big question everyone is going to have, evaluators of the team, is what is his throwing arm like? Because, as you know, the summer before the Red Sox signed him, the season before the Red Sox signed him, his velocity was down. He had had that injury to his elbow, uh, you know, which eventually required surgery. And I think everyone wants to see post-surgery what exactly is he as a shortstop. And if you're the Red Sox, you're, you're making that evaluation, too, because of the presence of Marcelo Meyer and, and uh, you know, the expectations for him. So I, I, I'm sure that that's one of the things that will be in the daily reports that the, you know, the Red Sox front office uh, receives about his arm strength. Buster, earlier this week it was revealed that the Red Sox are having exploratory conversations with Brian Bayo. And Bayo didn't pitch well yesterday against the A's, but by and large he's been their best starter overall here for the year, at least for the last two and a half months or so. I think it's smart for them to have these exploratory conversations. You don't want to get into a, con- no into a situation with him like you ended up with Mookie Betts and Bogart, so you want to do right by that. But, you know, pitchers aren't getting the $200 million contracts anymore. What do you think – like a reasonable extension would be for a guy like Bayo. I mean, Hunter Green with the Reds is kind of the comp. He only signed a $53 million deal. If that's all it took, I'd do this tomorrow if I were the Red Sox. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you want to buy out, uh, especially with all the injuries that pitchers are, are suffering, you want to buy out potentially what could be the best years of his career and have that locked in. And, and I think it's, it's one of those advantages that a big market team like the Red Sox, like the Yankees, should enjoy. Uh, when you, you know, potentially can, can get that situation settled, especially with the uncertainty as we move forward, you know, Chris Dale gives them anything in the, in the last, uh, you know, his last uh, month with the team, you know, what, what other pieces do they have to build around? As you look at the franchise, it feels like that, you know, Bayo is one of the three or four most important pieces on the, in the franchise. And, and I do think they're probably is a sweet spot and you're right you know they always use the comp and green is a is a great comp the thing that's absolutely jumped out about Bayo this year and you see it every time he pitches is the degree of confidence and it just feels like that he's a player that if you're a team your your front office is going to feel like that they can win with him Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. You're going to see the Red Sox Sunday night, Sunday night baseball, Sox and Mets. Mets, one of the most disappointing teams in baseball this year as well. Where do you think they're at right now as we get towards the deadline? 
Yeah, they're a little bit like where the Red Sox are, where I think they're probably listening both ways. Uh, okay, what can we do to add? What can we do if we wind up subtracting? Like, I, I think that the Mets, you know, their focus as we go forward is going to be, look, whatever moves we make is going to be with 2024 in mind. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily giving up. Um, you know, for example, I, I wonder if uh, David Robertson uh, will be a reliever that they're going to hang on to either way to try to continue going forward. But maybe they trade a Mark Hanna to your Seattle Mariners. Uh, maybe they trade a Tommy Pham who's performed well for them to try to get value, but also to, to focus on the future by playing these young guys. And by the way, on Sunday night, uh, we've gotten confirmation. We're going to have Raphael Devers wearing the microphone for us in English. And answering oh. questions in English, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you know, he's he's really Rafi has really grown a lot uh, in his confidence speaking with English. I, I think I told you about you know conversations I had with him in spring training, and, and I'm really happy for him, and also a little bit jealous because I got a D plus in Spanish my last <laughs> class at uh, at Vanderbilt, and I'm incredibly impressed by someone who would do uh, you know an interview like that in a second language. That is going to be very, very cool. We saw Devers or heard Devers on our radio station, I believe, last year take his first crack at answering questions in English and did a great job. And here you are a year later. Now he's going to be on national TV doing a good, uh, good accomplishment for him. Red Sox right now 51 and 46. They're two and a half games back entering play today. They're off today. Buster, much appreciated as always. We will catch up again in seven days. That sounds great, Brady. Always fun to talk with you. Thank you very much. There goes Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Spoke to Buster earlier today. Always the best. I got a lot of takeaways to get to from Buster. You can get in with your questions and takeaways, 802-585-3026 on the Napa Morrisville, or on the AR Auto text line, I should say, 802-585-3026, arautosales.com. They're on North Main Street in Barrie. I'm pumped for Barrie, by the way. That Thunder Road is back on tonight, First Responders Appreciation Night. The people of Barrie deserve it. The people of Central Vermont deserve it. The first responders being honored deserve it. So I'm looking forward to uh, – you know, seeing how things play out tonight again at the nation's site of excitement. We're going to react to Buster. i got four things that I want to talk about with the Red Sox. We'll get to them next on the Brady Farkas Show here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas will come up at 7 o'clock. It's on for just one hour today, and then it is Thunder Road with Nick Mumley. On the call. Thanks to Buster Olney for stopping by. You can find that interview uh, in full when the show is over. Danny will have it put up there on our podcast channel and the Brady Farkas Show. Just search for it, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and again at WDEVradio.com. Buster's great, and I've got a couple of distinct takeaways and talking points off the Buster interview. Get in on the AR Auto text line. One is on Trevor's story. So, Danny, I'm going to have you play this. Alex Cora the other day spoke about Trevor Story's rehab and what things are going to look like for Story this weekend, but he's going to start playing in games tomorrow. Danny, here's what Cora had to say about it. He's going to play short uh, on Friday, DH, and Saturday, short on uh, Sunday. He'll go five, DH, for whatever at-bats he gets, and then five innings again on uh, on Sunday. That's going to be important. Moving well. Making all the throws, I think the next thing they're going to try to do is kind of like roll balls and he'll die for it and get up and throw to first base. But physically, he feels good. So Buster said something that kind of shocked me. Buster said 
if Story is playing well, or if Story looks like he's close, they might be more aggressive with Story when it comes to his rehab and bringing him up to the Major League Club. That took me aback because I was actually looking at it the other way. I was actually thinking about maybe the Red Sox will or should slow play Trevor Story because the Red Sox are in a very precarious situation here when it comes to Story, right? Like, let's think about this. The Red Sox are two and a half games back right now in the wild card. They 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 do not have like a, they they don't have a big pad here to play with, right? They're they are doing the chasing. They need to win every single game that they possibly can, and every loss that they suffer, like yesterday is a big deal. Okay, it's a big deal to lose two or three to Oakland. It's a big deal to lose at this point. It's not like it's early April. We are getting down here towards August here, towards the dog days. You've got to win games, especially when you are a team that's chasing. So here is the situation at hand with Story. The Red Sox need to play him. They do. When he comes up, they need to play him. He's a two-time All-Star. He's a two-time Silver Slugger. You're paying him $140 million. You brought him in to replace Mookie Betts. He's your guy. So Trevor Story has to play. But at that t- at the same time, you need to win. So my fear is that Trevor Story is going to come up, need to get into this thing, and he's going to end up hurting you at a time you need to be winning. And Buster's here saying, oh, you know, they might be aggressive with him. I'm thinking, like, they might – like, that scares me. Because I know how this game is played, right? Trevor Story is going to go down to the minor leagues. He's going to play what? 10 games, 12 games. He's going to play partial games. He's not going to get full game action. He's not going to get, Trevor, Trevor Story is not getting 60 at bats at the minor leagues. So he's got no spring training. He's hit off nothing but sim games and bullpen arms and now minor league pitchers. He's going to come up here in the midst of a playoff race and I'm supposed to think that right away he's going to be a guy who can carry me and elevate me. Maybe he will. But my fear is that he's not going to be ready. And here Buster's saying, oh, we might bring him up earlier. You get 20 days to rehab. Okay, you get 20 days to rehab. Like, that's the maximum rehab time. So in 20 days, what can Trevor Story play? 15, 16 games? Not going to play every inning of every single one of those games. So probably get 50 at-bats or so. Do I think that Trevor Story's going to come up after 50 at-bats and just, you know, plow through? The playoff chase field? No, I don't. So my fear is that, like, think about every April. Guys come through spring training, and guys are struggling in April. And, yes, the weather is cold and it's, you know, whatever. But there are guys who it takes them a month and a half to get into the season. The Red Sox can't afford for Trevor Story to take a month and a half to get into the season. They can't. They need him to come up and be Trevor Story that they paid $140 million for. So this is a tough situation. You've got to play him. You've got to play him. You're paying him the money to be the face of your team, basically, outside of Devers. So you've got to play him, but he's also got to produce. And if he's not producing right away, you still have to keep playing him, but it's going to hurt your ability here in the playoff race. So this is a tough situation for Trevor Story and for the Red Sox because, look, if they were out of it, it wouldn't matter, right? Like we all kind of thought Red Sox would be out of it. So Story can come back in August, and the team will have been gutted, and he can ease on into it. And if he hits 185, he hits 185, no big deal. Just get him some reps and get him, get him ready for spring training 2024. That's not the situation this team's in. They're 51-46, and or two and a half games back. They need a middle-of-the-order bat. Who's a middle-of-the-order bat? Not a guy who's feeling his way through 
and is hitting, you know, a buck ten for the first three weeks. You can't have that. They've moved on from playing Kike Hernandez who was doing that. They were benching Tristan Casas when he was doing that. They need a guy who can come in here and play and can contribute and can put up numbers. And if Trevor Story can't do that, then what do you do? You still got to play him, probably. You just have to eat it. But that's a tough situation to be in when you're playing for a playoff race. I hope that he comes up and is hitting gangbusters and hits a homer in his first at-bat and is hitting 305. And we look up by the end of the season, he's ended up with 180 at-bats and he's hit 370 for us. That's what I hope. But I'm not confident that that's necessarily going to be the case because I just know how hard this game is and how long it takes some guys to get going. You look at story last year. When he was with the Red Sox, right? I mean, he hit 238 last season for the Red Sox over 94 games. 238. That's with a, that's with a spring training. You know, he signed late, but it's with a partial spring training. It's with him having come off a full season, right? He wasn't going through injuries. He hit 289 in the COVID season, so he showed the ability to get ready quick there. So I hope maybe he can do the same thing here. But this is this is hard. This is hard. It's not easy. Um, Ayer Auto text lines open 802-585-3026 The other thing I want to talk about is The Red Sox have to be buyers And we talked about that with Buster And it feels kind of obvious The Red Sox have to be buyers If for no other reason High and Bloom has to send the right message To the organization And to the organization's players High and Bloom, as Buster pointed out botched the trade deadline last year, right? But he botched it. He thought, okay, we'll buy and sell, we'll get rid of Vasquez, but we'll bring in Pham and we'll go get uh, Hosmer and we'll, you know, whatever. They'll trade Deekmans. Like, they did this Texas two-step, one foot in, one foot out of the trade deadline. And that did not go over well in the clubhouse, and it ultimately didn't work. High and Bloom needs to send the right message to this group of teams, or to this group of players, rather, and to prospective players in the future that he's got their backs. Okay, the Red Sox have done enough to get organizational support. They've absolutely done enough. Does it mean they're the best team in baseball? No. Does it mean they're going to win the World Series? No. But High and Bloom has to give these players something to work with, and he has to at least give the appearance that he's got their back, that he believes in them, and that he's here for them, and that he's going to take a shot when he's got it. They don't have to be the world's biggest moves. They don't. Okay, I'm, as I said to Buster, I don't want to trade Nick York. I don't want to trade Marcelo Meyer. I don't want to trade Sedan Rafaela. I don't want to trade our top prospects. We've been building that up for too long. I don't want to get rid of it for an ill-fated attempt at the third wild card. So I'm, I'm for not taking giant swings, but I'm also not for doing nothing. This team, these players have worked too hard. This manager has worked too hard to right the ship, to get them going, to you know, a guy like James Paxton who busted his tail and, is, and has busted his tail, and a guy like Brian Bayo who's busted his tail, and a guy like Kenley Jansen who's taken the ball, Justin Turner with 38 years old is moving all over the diamond, Rafi Devers who's gone through struggles. These guys deserve it. They deserve to know that the organization has their back and that the organization is there for them. And former Red Sox pitcher Ryan Dempster, who's now part of the MLB Network, he said as much on a show the other day. 
Absolutely right. Buyers. Yeah, you don't sell on this team. Why? Why sell? There's zero point to sell. You're sitting here. You're six. The guys in the locker room have done everything you've asked in a very tough division. You look at it top to bottom. I mean, the Blue Jays are getting going now. They just go out there and sweep the D-backs and Baltimore and Tampa. They're competing. They haven't let down for a bit. They've withstand through some injuries, so they should be buyers, and these guys should believe that they can go out there because offensively they can score runs with anybody. So I agree. You've got to send the right message. You've got to send the right message. And if High and Bloom wants to start winning the internal PR battles, both in the clubhouse and in the city as a whole, in the region as a whole, he's got to send the right message because – you just have to play that game. You do. Okay? This team has done enough, and High and Bloom hasn't always been popular. If he wants to get more popular, he needs to send the message to his team that, hey, I believe in you to go out enough to do something. And maybe it is only Rich Hill for the 48th time, and maybe it's only an innings eater back into the bullpen but or back into the starting rotation, but this team needs something. They need help. Okay, We can't be running Brendan Bernardino out there and expected then Nick Pavetta to cover up six innings. It's just that's not sustainable. And you're two and a half back. You can't be punting here. You need to go for it. And the Red Sox are going to get chances to beat the teams in front of them. They're going to see Toronto again. They're going to see the Yankees again, who are now behind them, but the team they're battling with. They're going to see Seattle again, who's behind them, but is trying to come and catch them in the standings. You've got to go for it. And Ian Bloom needs to take that message and have it well received. Um, I want to finish up on the Bayo stuff. So, Danny, let's take a break here. I'm going to come back. I want to dig a little deeper on the Brian Bayo stuff. The Red Sox are reportedly interested in an extension for their young pitcher who had a rough day yesterday but has been great overall. We'll take a look at what the dynamic is here between the Red Sox and Brian Bayo as it relates to a contract extension. We'll do it next on the Brady Farkas Show and the Friendly Pioneer, WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas comes up next. That's on from 7 o'clock until 8 o'clock, and then we'll send it out to Barry Slender Road. Nick Mumley on the call there from the nation's site of excitement. First responders um, appreciation night. So thank you to everybody who has kept Vermont safe over the last week and continues to clean up efforts because we know from our news reports just how extensive that uh, it has been and will continue to be. But uh, hopefully tonight a little bit of uh, uh, of deserved relaxation for some here, and I hope you enjoy your time at Thunder Road again. Nick will be on the call for us just after 8. I want to get to this Brian Bayo thing in a second, but Danny just told me something in the commercial break that floored me. I walk over in the commercial break, and I go, Danny, what are you doing later tonight? And he goes, I'm getting a haircut, so i got to get out of here pretty quickly. Who – you live in Chittenden County. It's at least a half an hour drive to wherever you're going. You're telling me you're getting a haircut after 745 at night? Who is this person that cuts your hair? Because I'd like them to cut my hair because I can never find an appointment after about 5. So where are you going? I'm telling you, she's fantastic. She works like 12-hour days. Um, she's open sometimes seven to seven. Uh, take and some Monday, making, take some Mondays off, but like she's making special hours for you even seven to not seven, just not for seven me. Forty-five. Nope. nope, nope. She books people until at least nine o'clock some nights. 
Why have I not heard of this person? And I don't want you to tell the listeners because I don't want them to flood the haircut market. I want to save it for you and me. But seriously, I like to get my haircut over a certain place in Chittenden County, too. And I'm not going to give up the name because I don't want to put them on blast about their hours. But they're open like 9 until 6. And I can never go because I'm in Waterbury, right? And I want to drive. I can't drive up in the day. And, you know, because it's 30 minutes away and 30 minutes to get your haircut and 30 minutes back, so I can't be gone that much. And then after the show, they're going to be closed by the time I can get up there. So it's like I'm forced to only be able to go on the weekend, and they're so popular and good that the weekend is flooded, and I end up having to make an appointment like three weeks out. So, you know, I love my haircut people, and I want to continue going there. But in a pinch, i got to use your person here who apparently takes appointments till 9 o'clock. We'll talk after the show. Yeah, my yeah. Seriously, give it up. Give don't give it up to them, but give it up to me. Good for you. So you're gonna put up the podcast though, right? Oh yeah, it'll be up. All right. Why are you talking so low? You don't. You have to. You're being do so I need coy. to turn my mic up. Sorry, I'll start shouting like you do. <laughs> I thought you were playing coy. I'm looking right at you here across the studio, and I I I, I thought you're being very very shy, very very coy, I like playing games. I'm like, what, what is he not telling me here? No, evidently, just turn the mic up then. So. Um, all right, let's wrap it up here before Jazz with George Thomas. But we talked about this with Buster. The interview is going to be up on our podcast channel shortly. You can check it out. The Red Sox are having exploratory conversations with Brian Bayo about giving him an extension. Now, Bayo also said earlier in the year he wants to stay in Boston. The Red Sox gave him a chance, so he wants to stay in Boston. He also said he doesn't want to do any talking until after the season. He wants to focus on the season. I understand that. Maybe his representation will talk. But nonetheless, he's not going to do a lot of talking right now. So, number one, this is a no-brainer for the Red Sox. This is an absolute no-brainer. They, one trillion percent, should want to extend him and should be trying to extend him as quick as possible. They failed to extend John Lester. Watched him leave in free agency. They failed to extend Mookie Betts. Had to trade him. They failed to re-extend Xander Bogarts. Watched him leave in free agency. And they had to wait until the very last minute on Rafael Devers. And they had to overpay and pay the Xander Bogarts and, and Mookie Betts tax in order to keep him in Boston. If you want to avoid that, if you want to avoid watching your stars leave, if you want to avoid watching your homegrown players leave, and if you want to avoid paying that tax again at the last minute, then you want to get Brian Bayo extended as quickly as possible. You want to avoid bidding wars and overpays, get the extensions done early. This is also a chance for High and Bloom to right some organizational wrongs. Okay, The organization screwed up with Mookie. The organization screwed up with Xander. If Hyam Bloom wants to curry favor with the current players that he's got to buy at the trade deadline, if he wants to curry favors with the fans then and with young Red Sox players, then show that you're willing to go in on a young and largely unproven commodity who's got upside that you're going to be able to keep around for a while. This is a no-brainer for the Boston Red Sox. Number two, Red Sox starting rotation has absolutely zero certainty for the future. Absolutely zero, right? Like, I know we're talking five years down the line here, but there's nobody else in the pipeline that you're like, okay, that guy's a future pillar of the rotation. 
Like, I can look at the Mariners' double-A roster right now and say, okay, that guy's going to be pretty good. That guy's going to be pretty good. We've got three or four guys there I feel pretty excited about. Red Sox don't have that. Great. Sale's going to be gone, thankfully. Paxton's going to be gone, probably. Kluber's gone. Like, all these guys are going to be gone. So you got nothing to rest your hat on here for the next several years. Bayo's it. I'd like to know with a degree of certainty that I have a certain thing, and that thing's Bayo. Okay? So... I, I like when my organization can have some pillars and tent poles of homegrown talent, and Bayo is the guy. Okay, Bayo is the guy. Now look, Bayo's not a free agent until after 2028, right? So there's no imminent urgency to get this done, but every year that you wait, the price tag goes up. So I'm in favor of getting it done now. Bayo's got five years left with the Red Sox, no matter what, right? Five years left, no matter what. So, again, he's going to be a Red Sox player for a long time. So my question is, well, what exactly can the Red Sox do here? Like, what's the number? What's the years? Bayo's got five years left no matter what. So what are you looking to do? I would say a fair number is probably seven or eight years. That's what I want if I were the Red Sox. The five years you were already going to have him? In two or three additional years beyond that, you get him through his prime. You get him till 32. You're not saddled until 37. And you're going to be able to get it, if you do this earlier, at a very affordable rate. Hunter Green was the former number two pick in the draft of the Reds. Really good stuff. 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Better pure velocity than Bayo. He signed a six-year, $53 million extension. $53 million. Could we get Bayo for eight for 75? If we could, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Absolute heartbeat. Hey, you want to avoid paying a, a 30 year old five, you know, five years and 140, five years and 150, six years and eight, 180, and get him locked up now for eight years and 75. Team friendly deal. He gets assurances of money. You get his prime. You get the best years of his team control and you get him at what I believe will be an affordable rate. Now, that's what I would do if I were the Red Sox. The question becomes, if you're Bayo, would you sign that? And I'll be honest, if I were Bayo, I think that I would. I'm all for players trying to get every dollar they can. I'm all for players holding management's feet to the fire at times. But pitchers aren't getting easily $200 million contracts anymore. Luis Castillo got a deal for like $108 million, and he's a stud. $108. Robbie Ray won a Cy Young and got one for $110. Guys aren't getting $200 million, so... If I can get 70, 75 million sure thing now, as opposed to waiting five years and hoping I'm healthy and good enough to go and get something bigger than that, I think this is a situation where I'd actually take the money I have afforded to me now. Again, Red Sox haven't made an official offer yet, but or at least that we know about yet, but I do believe the Red Sox should be making those offers, and I do believe that uh, Bayo should strongly Strongly consider it. Strongly consider it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Had a lot of stuff to get to today. Um, a lot of Todd Woodcroft stuff, a lot of stuff out at UVM from yesterday's press conference. We'll continue to take your thoughts on that on the text line overnight even if you want to. We're going to have a, a guest on tomorrow to talk about it all and to kind of where UVM goes from here. Thunder Road comes up at 8. Jazz with George Thomas comes up from 7 until 8. Go download the podcast. Thanks to Danny for doing a great job producing as well. Thanks to you on the text line. I'll see you tomorrow on DEV.